the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The second reason we should be generous is not only because the Macedonians were generous as our examples, but secondly, generosity is consistent with God's work in our lives. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. His expository teaching style helps us cover the whole Bible, even the parts we might want to gloss over. Expository teaching means that Pastor Steve teaches the Bible a verse at a time. No skipping stuff that might be uncomfortable. And 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is uncomfortable for many of us because it hits us right where we live, in the pocketbook. Our main text is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 6 through 8. But let's get ready to take a look at 1 Timothy 6. It's all God's Word, and it's all valuable. So let's press on with this study of why it's so important to be generous. Here's Pastor Steve. So if you take the name Christian, you claim to know Christ, you should understand that God expects every Christian to be generous like the Macedonians, regardless of how much you have or don't have. See, we want to make sure that we, do, we, we are not like the world. We do not want to hold on to our money as if it belongs to us. It does not belong to us. Nothing you have do you really own. I read this week about John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church, who one day, and I don't know all the details of it, I just sort of glanced by the story, but one day uh, one of his houses caught fire and burned to the ground. Now, we might go into a panic on that, but John Wesley looked at it and said, well, that's one less house of the Lord that I have to take care of. It's, it's his and burned to the ground, so I don't have that responsibility anymore. He had an understanding that it really wasn't his house. Nothing we have belongs to us. In fact, 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says this, Why? Uh, what do you have that you did not receive? It's a good question. Is there anything you and I have that we didn't receive from God? Absolutely not. And you say, well, I, um, I have this job and I have these, these talents to do this, but who gave you the talents? Who gave you the brains to do that? Who gave you even the air to breathe that can sustain you? And God doesn't charge us for that. I mean, everything we have, really, we've received. You were born into this world having nothing, and you will leave this world having nothing except a relationship with Christ or without a relationship with him. But anything of a material value, it's on loan. Everything is on loan. In fact, let's look at First Timothy chapter 6. And we touched on this a few weeks ago, but this is a marvelous, marvelous statement by Paul in verse 17. And I think this would apply to everyone here because Americans, by comparison to other people in the world, we are all wealthy unless you're homeless and on the street. By comparison, we are all wealthy. If you travel to other countries, second and third world countries, and they spot you, uh, they, they will immediately be drawn to you to beg for money because that is 
our, our situation, the wealthiest country in the world. Verse 17 says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. Don't, don't think it's all you. Don't think that you accumulated this and you just were lucky in the right place at the right time. Or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Let's make sure that we're not basing everything. We're not proud about what we have and that we don't uh, put our confidence in, let's say, the stock market, a relevant subject, or anything like that. Our hope is not in, in that and in investments. Our hope is in the living God, he says, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. That's a great statement because you know what? It states that you and I, if we do have any kind of wealth, we don't need to feel guilty about it. Enjoy what God's given you. It's all right. It's not a sin to have things. It is a sin, however, to let things have you. It is a sin to make those things an idol. That's the sin. It's not wrong to have nice things. Enjoy it. But understand that it's all from God. It's all on loan. And don't be proud about what you have. But if you do have things, watch this. Paul says in verse 18, instruct them. Here's what you do. If you instruct Timothy, you instruct people who have some money, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, not just rich in financial things, but good works to be generous and ready to share. That's what we ought to do. If God has blessed you, then Paul says, share it. Be generous with others. Enjoy it yourself. Don't have the wrong attitude towards it. Don't think it's a sin. Don't feel guilty about having it, but don't hoard it. You share it with others because God has given it to you for that purpose. So as we've said week after week, generosity is an issue of the heart. It depends on your your attitude, not how much you have or how little you have. The Macedonians had a heart to give. God had worked in their hearts by grace and they gave in response. They gave to the Lord and then because of that, the natural result was they were free to give their money to support the work of the Lord. So the point is this, if they could be generous and they were, then we can too. We can too. And that's Paul's point. The Macedonians by God's design are, are a living illustration of what true generosity is and how it operates and what God expects of us. So the first reason we should be generous is this. It's not very hard to grasp. In fact, none of these are hard. The Macedonians were generous. You and I need to be thinking about them. Whenever you're wondering, well, should I do this or should I do, think of the Macedonians. They, they gave so much. They gave so much. The second reason we should be generous is not only because the Macedonians were generous as our examples, but secondly, generosity is consistent with God's work in our lives. Consistent with God's work in our lives. Look at verse 7. Paul writes, But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. Now what does he mean by this? having told the Corinthians how God was at work in the lives of the Macedonians, transforming them by grace to make them generous, Paul now reminds the Corinthians that, you know what? God is at work in your life as well. Not just the Macedonians. He's at work in your life. And he tells them, that's what he means when he says that you have abounded in everything. You have abounded in everything, which means that God, by his grace, has given so much to you in terms of spiritual enrichment. I think we'd all say that. We would all agree, not just the Corinthians, but us. 
God has blessed us. And now Paul begins to clarify what he means by this. Watch this. This is, this is great. The first thing Paul mentions that God had, had given the Corinthians were spiritual gifts. It's what he means when he says, in faith and utterance and knowledge. Now I realize that not everybody here understands what a spiritual gift is. So let me, let me clarify that. A spiritual gift is a supernatural ability God gives you at the moment of salvation to serve him in the context of the local church. It is an ability, supernatural. You were not born with this ability. We were all born with natural talents, but this is different. At the moment that you put your faith in Christ, you're not even aware of this. God gives you at least one and probably a unique combination of spiritual gifts, gifts that come from him for the purpose of serving him in the, in the, in the local church. Those are spiritual gifts. We know that, and I'd like you to turn there to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul mentions this in his first letter to them. In fact, this is the most extensive teaching in the New Testament on spiritual gifts. It's important to know this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant or unaware. Paul said, I want you to understand about spiritual gifts. But what I want you to see is verse 4 to 7, verses 4 to 7. He says, Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. That is to say that none of us have the same exact unique combination of gifts, but it's the same Holy Spirit who gives it to us. That's why they're called spiritual gifts. Gifts. And there are varieties of ministries. We, none of us have exactly the same ministry, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Now, verse seven is critical. Why do we have a spiritual gift? Why have we been given this? But to each one, meaning every Christian has this, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? For the common good. For the good of others. I may have the gift of teaching, but I don't teach to build up my self-esteem. I don't teach to feel good about me. I teach to build you up. That's a spiritual gift. That's how it operates. Many of you have the gift of helps, the gift of encouragement. You minister those gifts not so that people would look and say, aren't they spiritual? Look at that. Isn't that something? You minister to others to build them up. You've been given a gift to use for God's glory. Now, the Corinthians didn't uh, grasp this. The Corinthians had a major problem in this area. They abused their spiritual gifts. That's what this passage in 1 Corinthians is about and, and the following chapters. They abused their spiritual gifts. And instead of using these gifts to serve the Lord by building up others, Many of the Corinthians were using their gifts to promote themselves, especially the the uh, the more uh, uh, showy uh, and more public speaking gifts. That's that's what First Corinthians twelve and chapter fourteen is about. But in the middle of those chapters, Paul speaks about love. Why does he do that? Because he is saying that all spiritual gifts must operate with love must operate in the context of love or else they, they don't benefit anyone. Let, let's look at chapter 13. God did not put this here so that we would include it in wedding ceremonies, although it's certainly valid and nice to do that, but it's not really what it's about. Chapter 13, beginning at verse 1, notice this. Remember, he's talking about these people who were into showy gifts and look at me and 
boy, I'm spiritual and I want to get the attention. And Paul says, verse verse 1, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, just an irritating noise, that's all. People may be impressed, but uh, but God says there's no benefit to that. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy, that would be preaching, and know all mysteries and all knowledge, that would be the gift of knowledge, sort of a scholar's gift. And if I have all faith, that's not just saving faith, that's trusting God for what looks to be a humanly impossible situation. If I have the gift of faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. I'm just noisy gong, it doesn't benefit me at all, I'm nothing, I'm a big zero, is what Paul is saying. Now, in these two verses, Paul gives three specific, he mentions three specific spiritual gifts, speaking gifts, he mentions, teaching, preaching, any other gifts that come in that category. Then he mentions the gift of knowledge, which would be uh, unique insight and understanding of biblical truth. Uh, We would say that scholars have that. And then there's the gift of faith. And as I said, that's the ability to trust God for what uh, looks humanly impossible. Now, as you go back, keep that in mind, back to 2 Corinthians 8. Let's read this again. He says in verse 7, But just as you abound in everything in faith, utterance, and knowledge. He mentions the same three spiritual gifts that he mentioned in chapter 13. It's not in the same order, but it's the same gifts. These Corinthians, he said, they abounded or they overflowed with these spiritual gifts because God had graciously graciously bestowed them on this church. And what he's saying is this is a natural part of the Christian life. It's a natural part. You came to Christ, you've been gifted, you serve him. But watch this. In addition, and by the way, in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, he says that that you came behind in no gift. They had all the gifts. They're a very gifted church. But notice as we continue in verse 7, Paul says not only were you gifted, and are you gifted and, and God is overflowed in your life with spiritual gifts, but also God had worked in their lives in developing certain qualities and virtues. He says, but just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge, those are the spiritual gifts to serve, and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you. The Corinthians overflowed not only with with gifts to serve, but they were earnest, meaning they were zealous. They were diligent they they had a passion to serve the Lord. And I think he's talking about they, they were responsive to Titus and they had repented of their sins and they were back on track with Paul. And, and that was their new attitude of zeal and overflowing. And I think that's what he means about love too. They overflowed with love. I take it he means with, with love for the apostle Paul, love for Paul. So the Corinthians were a blessed people, absolutely blessed. God had worked in their lives to give them gifts to serve. He had worked in their lives to make them zealous and and loving of the apostle. His grace had been at work in their lives, transforming them into a group of people who really right now they were on on track spiritually. They're on the path of obedience. But you know what? Something was lacking. And I think you can guess what that was. They were not generous. It was lacking in their character development. And that's why Paul concludes verse 7 with these words, see that you abound in this gracious work also. In other words, generosity is a part of life 
a a human who's been touched by the Lord, a saved person. It's a part of your life that has been transformed by God's grace. It, It all goes together. You cannot separate financial generosity from the other gifts and virtues that come as a result of knowing Christ. That's what he's saying. God has been transforming your character, but you're unbalanced. It's like you, you think that generosity is an option. When God transforms a life, he transforms the whole life, every part of you. We're being conformed to the full image of Christ, not a partial image of Christ. But that's what the Corinthians were doing. They, they had put finances and generosity in another compartment. It, it, it really didn't touch their Christian experience. They didn't see giving generosity as a vital part and and work of God in transforming our lives. And I think we're prone to do the same thing. I think we're prone to do the same thing. Somehow we think that generosity is an option in the Christian life. Even people who serve the Lord do this. You know, they might have the attitude, well, I give by my time. I give by my service. I give by my energy. I don't have to give financially. Well, that's not what the Bible says. You're supposed to be zealous. You're supposed to be serving. You're supposed to be loving. But you're also supposed to be giving. It's not an option. It's not an option. God is in the process of transforming us to make us in character like his son. And his son, the Lord Jesus, is a zealous, loving, generous servant. So what's Paul's point? His point is, to, to not be generous is to be unbalanced, sort of a distorted, somewhat deformed type of a Christian. The reason that we ought to be generous is because generosity is consistent with God's work in our lives. He doesn't do a partial work. He's doing a complete work in our lives, and that deals with our generosity. So why should we be generous? Because the Macedonians were generous. They're our example. Secondly, because generosity is consistent with God's work in our lives. Otherwise, you will be unbalanced. You'll be distorted. You'll be underdeveloped. You'll be a puny Christian. God wants to develop every aspect of our character. There is a third reason we should be generous, and this is so simple and yet so profound. Paul says generosity is the proof of our love for other people and for the Lord. It's the proof of love. Notice verse 8. I'm not speaking this as a command but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. Now, did you get that? This is one of the most fascinating verses that I, I've ever read because it tells us that in spite of how strongly Paul felt about this collection, and he did feel strongly about this, absolutely strong. I mean, there are many statements that he talked about ministering to the poor and taking a collection. He promised the apostles in Jerusalem he'd, he'd uh, take care of the poor. He wrote to the Romans and he said, yeah, you really should be doing this because we have a moral obligation to give to back to the Jewish believers. They've given us so much. I mean, Paul was passionate about this. And yet, and yet you look at this verse, you know what Paul is saying? As strong as I feel about this, I'm not commanding you to do it. It's not a command. It's not a law. That That's an incredible statement. I am not dictating to you that you should do this. Now, Paul was an apostle. He had apostolic authority. He had Christ's delegated authority to enforce this collection on the Corinthians, but he says he's not commanding them to give anything. Wow, you, you look at that and say, why not, Paul? It's so meaningful. Why not? I mean, it's been, you spent years doing this. Why not? Because generous giving must stem from a willing heart. 
That's why. Not external compulsion. God in the Old Testament demanded that the people give tithes because that, that was law. That was a tax, as I've told you. But you know what? Never did he demand or command a love offering. Never. People gave because they wanted to. They gave spontaneously. They gave voluntarily. They gave out of love. You see, anything other than that, if you dictate giving, folks, that's legalism. That's legalism. It's not grace. Those who are generous are generous because they have been freed up on the inside by God's grace to be generous and not because there's some legal percentage of giving that's been imposed upon them. In fact, that's the whole point of chapter 9, verse 7. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. Paul didn't say each one must do as I tell him to do. Each one must give 10%. Each one must give 20%. Each one, He didn't say that at all. Each one must do just as he's purposed in his heart. Do whatever God has put on your heart to do. Not grudgingly. Don't give it with a resentful attitude because somebody told you you had to give or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He loves He loves those. There's a special place in God's heart for those who are cheerful in, in their giving and just say, Lord, I, I love you and this is why I'm giving. See, and th- I think it's a great lesson for those of us who are leaders in this church that we have to learn from Paul's example. We can encourage people to be generous. We should encourage them. We should, we should teach them and we, and we must teach biblical principles of generosity as we're doing now, but we must never ever resort to demanding anything from reluctant givers. Legalism demands your money, even if you have an unwilling heart to give. And I, and quite frankly, there are churches and, and leaders who do that. They, they say, look, I don't care how you feel. You must give. And if it's not enough to remind you from the pulpit, I'll send you a letter telling you. Or we'll take your picture. Remember last week? A little takes your picture. But you know what? Grace never does that. Grace doesn't do that. Grace won't make those demands. Instead, grace appeals to you to give because you love. And if you don't love, then you need to love. But grace doesn't demand. And let me tell you, here, here at Lakeside, you may hear us, as, as Ben mentioned this morning, about the needs. And we'll tell you about needs, but never Will we ever demand anything from you? Even when we take a benevolent offering at the end of the Lord's Supper, I always try to say, look, this is, this is something that, uh, if you want to participate in, do it. No one's forcing you to do that. That's the way we believe all of our giving should be. Now, we believe strongly that we ought to be generous. I mean, that's what we're saying, but, but we will never demand and never put law upon you because we are saved by grace. We walk by grace. We give by grace. And that grace comes from a heart that that loves. And that's exactly what Paul said in verse 8 as he went on to say, watch this, I am not speaking this as a command. It's not law, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. Paul's telling the Corinthians that while generosity cannot be dictated by anyone, not even him, it does reveal whether you love people or not. It does reveal that. In fact, he actually says he gives us a test. The the um, the word proving means test. Proving, it's a test. And the goal of this test, the objective of, the, of this test, was to prove if the Corinthians had genuine love like the Macedonians had. That's what he means when he says, as proving through the earnestness of others, the sincerity of your love. In other words, as proving through the standard of love set by the Macedonians, whether you're loving or not. The Macedonians have set that standard. They've given because of love. Now, are you going to do that as well? That's the test. See, the real proof that you love the Lord 
as well as people is if you're willing to be generous with your money in supporting the Lord's work and in meeting the needs of others. The Macedonian believers set a great example for us, didn't they? Pastor Steve Kreloff will have more on the next verse-by-verse as he wraps up this three-part message on reasons for generosity. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Find out more at lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. That's lakesidechapel.com or 727-441-1714. If you missed any of the broadcasts in this series or would like to share them with a friend, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. Click the Message Archive link to find the file or files that interest you. That's versebyverseradio.org. And if the Lord is speaking to you about helping support this ministry financially, there's information on the giving page. And we thank you for your prayers as well as your generous gifts. I'm Jerry Peterson. You've no doubt seen or heard the old story about the little boy telling his mother, I'm sitting down on the outside, but on the inside I'm jumping and yelling, or something like that. It's outward compliance masking inward rebellion. And that's what happens when we give just because we feel like we have to give. When people pressure us to give, it takes away all the joy and the blessings that come with bona fide generosity. I hope you'll be here for the next verse by verse. As we continue our study of generosity, Pastor Steve will look into some wrong reasons for giving. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.